Well, good morning. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to you. It's so good to be here this morning on a day when we get to sing Christmas carols because I love Christmas music. I'm one of those people that starts listening to Christmas music at the beginning of November, but this year it was more like the end of October. Anyone else? I love Christmas music because Christmas music is so majestic to me. It is just beautiful music. Well, speaking of beautiful music, um, several years ago, the Washington Post conducted an experiment. And the experiment involved Joshua Bell, who was one of the greatest violinists in the world. And Joshua was commissioned to play his $14 million Stradivarius, it's 300 years old, $14 million Stradivarius in a metro station in Washington, DC. And the experiment was conducted to answer one question. Here it is. In an ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill setting at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Would people stop and pay attention to the majesty they were hearing? And so on a random day in January, um, Joshua dressed like a street musician, wearing a long-sleeved t-shirt and jeans, Washington Nationals uh, baseball cap, and he walked into Leyenfont Plaza. He walked into a corner of the metro station. He set down his violin case, opened it up, and he began to play. He played for a total of 45 minutes and played six classical pieces. And the piece he began with was a piece called Chacon by Johann Sebastian Bach. And Bell says this about that song. He says, it's not just one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, but one of the greatest achievements of any man in history, a spiritually powerful piece and structurally perfect. It is emotionally powerful as well. And so in his words, this was God's music, okay? So out of the 1,097 people who passed him by that day, I want you to guess how many people actually stopped and listened. Turn to the person next to you. Out of 1,097 people, how many people do you think actually stopped to listen? You ready? Seven people. Seven people stopped to listen, and for his time, Crosswinds, he received $32.17 in tips, um, not including the $20 he got from the only one person who recognized him. Well, when the story was printed in the Post, one reader commented, she said, I cried when I read this because I find it scary and depressing to think of how obliviously most people go through their daily life. Who knows what beautiful things I've missed by just hurrying along, lost in my thoughts. And other readers made similar comments because in their opinion, the deafness of the crowd, it was astounding. And so what was the conclusion of the experiment? I'll read to you the question again. In an ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill setting at an inconvenient time, would people stop and pay attention to the majesty they were hearing? And the answer was... No, nope, they sure didn't. Well, I was so intrigued by this experiment, I thought that we should conduct one of our own. And so we had Davis, one of our musicians, who is an excellent pianist. He took his keyboard down to uh, downtown Livermore to play some Christmas music. And I know the Washington Post experiment failed, but I thought, surely it's Christmas. People love Christmas music. They love the merriment of Christmas. Surely someone will stop, people will stop and listen. This is what happened. Take a look. 
how many people stopped, how many did you count? That was the same guy both, in both shots. <laughs> One person. One person stopped. Again, the deafness of the crowd was so astounding. And I know that this experiment was really conducted to see if people would recognize beauty in their midst. But as I thought about these two experiments, I, I started to think about them on a deeper, more spiritual level. And I started to think about it this way. You know, we've been taught and told um, that God is speaking to us all the time, right? He speaks through any number of ways. He speaks to us through uh, the Bible. He speaks to us through other people that we trust and who are wise. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit within us and through the Holy Spirit in our community. There are so many in the verses in the Bible that talk about how God speaks to us. Look at this one in Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not no, that is God speaking. Here's another verse that talks about his spirit talking to us in John 16, 13. It says, the spirit shows what is true and will come and guide you into full truth. And there are countless scriptures that talk about this very thing that God is always speaking. But as I thought about this experiment, I thought it begs this question. If God is speaking to us, like if his voice is the beauty and the majesty, why are we deaf to it so much of the time? Why can't we hear it? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for this and a lot of answers to this, and I don't have time to tell you them all, but I think that sometimes we are so busy that we don't hear it. We're the people in the metro, right? We walk right by, the beauty is right there, we don't stop, and we don't hear it. I think there's other times when we just know God is speaking, but we ignore the voice altogether because we're really afraid of what it's going to say. Like if God tells me something, I'm going to have to do it, and then I'm going to do some things that I really don't like. So sometimes we just flat out ignore it. I think for others of us, there maybe might be some kind of sin in our lives that's blocking us from hearing God's voice. There's any number of things going on that prevent us from hearing what God is saying. But what I'm talking about this morning is something a little different. A few weeks ago when I was doing the outline, kind of writing this outline for this sermon, within a 24-hour period, I had three different people contact me and share with me the same thing. Each of them was in the midst of a different mess. And no matter what they did, they simply could not hear God. It's like God had just gone silent on them. And the more they, they prayed and the more they tried to still themselves and be quiet, um, they just couldn't hear what God was saying. It was just like crickets, crickets. And here's the thing. They were listening. They were asking God to speak. They were begging God to speak. They knew that there was music out there that was playing, that God was speaking, and it's like God just totally left the building. Nothing but silence. And they were scared. They didn't know what to do. You see, the silence was creating a spiritual mess for them in the midst of the mess in their lives that they were already in. And I'll tell you, if you've ever been in a season where it seems like God has gone silent on you, it can be really scary. And you can start to go to a pretty dark place and to be, begin to think of all kinds of things about yourself, like uh, maybe you're too far gone for God to show up in your life and come and rescue you. Or maybe you're not worthy enough for him to make himself known to, to you. Or maybe you're just downright, or you're forgettable to God, okay? 
And then you can start thinking some things, um, all kinds of thoughts about God himself. Like maybe he doesn't care for you anymore, or maybe he doesn't love you. Or maybe his compassion has a limiter on it, and you have hit your limit. But I think the darkest thought that can start to creep in sometimes is that really there isn't any God at all. And I think that there are all kinds of things that can start going through our minds when we want to hear and we struggle to hear, and all we get is silence. And I think the question comes to us, what do we do when we are trying to hear God, but we can't? We just can't hear him. Well, we've been in the middle of of this series for the last few weeks where we've been encouraging you to get into someone else's mess and let their mess get on you. And I know that there are some of you here this morning and you are immediately able to think about someone in your life right now who is stuck in silence. They are unable to hear and they are scared and they are ready to throw in the towel. Someone you know needs to be able to hear that music again. And what I want to tell you this morning is you might be that person who can walk alongside them and start to help them emerge from the silent mess that they are in, okay? But then there are others of you, and you have come this morning, and you are the one who is in the mess. And those scary thoughts and feelings that I was just talking about, you know them very well because you are living in kind of this silent spiritual mess right now, unable to hear the music that God is playing for you. And so as we wrap up the series this morning, I want to show you the last story that we're going to look at where Jesus gets involved in a person's mess, and I'll tell you, it is significant because he shows us that sometimes when we think we're in silence, it's not what we think. And there are some things that we can do to start to emerge from that, and there are some things that you can do to help someone else start to come out of the silence, okay? So here's a story this morning. Um, I'm gonna start in Mark 7.31. Here's what it says. It says... Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Okay, so it is very fitting this morning that we're looking at a story where Jesus encounters a man who cannot hear, because that's what we're talking about. But I want to take a second, and I want to just tell you about this region of the Decapolis, okay? I know it seems like it's just geography, but it's actually really important to the story, and it is very important for you, okay? Well, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he was mainly preaching and teaching in the region of Galilee. Galilee was Jesus' home. This is where um, most of the Jewish population lived. So this was home for him. It was very familiar. It was very comfortable. It is where he lived and he worked, okay? But this passage says that he was now traveling outside of his home. He was venturing away from what was comfortable into this very unfamiliar territory of the Decapolis. And I'll tell you, if you were a first century Jewish person and you heard that Jesus was going to the Decapolis, there would be a collective gasp in the room because no Jewish person ever went to the Decapolis. And the reason was because mostly the Gentile people lived there who were non-Jewish. 
and Jewish people and Gentile people, they did not mix. Oil and water, you just don't go there, okay? The second reason that you don't go there is because this place was incredibly dark. This was a place where very weird stuff happened. Um, in the book of Luke, when we see Jesus stepping foot off the boat into the Decapolis for the first time, he actually steps foot into a graveyard. And this is what it says in Luke 8:27. It tells us, as he stepped out on shore, a man from the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had not worn any clothes and he did not live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And so this was a place where demon-possessed people lived. And they ran around not wearing clothes, and they lived in the tombs. Talk about a very scary, uncomfortable place to be. I mean, this is a place that you don't stay in for very long. But Jesus goes there on purpose, and he stays there because that is where the need was. And it's kind of in this movement, this movement from Galilee to the Decapolis, that we find the first pearl of wisdom we learn from Jesus in this quest to kind of emerge from the silent mess. And the first pearl of wisdom is this. Sometimes you have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable, okay? The hardest thing you can do when you are struggling with God is to allow yourself to actually stay in that uncomfortable place with him. We don't like being uncomfortable with God. We don't like being uncomfortable anywhere, correct? I remember when I was in my 20s, I was working at um, a church, not this one, um, and the pastor was very big on talking about tithing. And anytime he talked about it, I just got all cringe. I got cringy about it, like we can do sometimes. Because I was a seminary student, and I was broke, and I did not have a lot of money to give. And so what I told myself was, I will tithe in my time. I will tithe in my talent. I'll be generous in other ways. But all the while, I knew God was giving me the nudge, and it was super uncomfortable. So you know what I did? Every time I gave a message, I encouraged other people to do it instead, right? Isn't that what we do sometimes? I deflected my struggle and I put it on other people so I wouldn't have to deal with the uncomfortableness before God. I talked to a woman last year and um, she's getting baptized, and, um, but she's really afraid of doing it, which I absolutely understand. She didn't want to be baptized in front of a bunch of people, and so every time a baptism would come up, she would purposely put something on her calendar so she would have a legitimate reason to not do it, and she strategized her way out of getting baptized for 10 years, 10 years. You see, that's what we do when we're spiritually uncomfortable, right? We deflect, we strategize, or run away from the discomfort altogether. And I'll tell you, that really is human nature. Well, right now, um, Chris, our senior pastor, Maya Rudy, our care ministry director, and myself are training to be spiritual directors. And spiritual directors are really just people who will sit with you and they will hear your story and they will try and help you see where God might be working in your life and then they'll help you go deeper into that experience with God. Well, there's a word that we have learned when we see someone wrestling and fighting and running away from the spiritually uncomfortable place they are in, and it is called resistance, resistance. But here's what we've learned about resistance that is exciting. The place of resistance is the place where God is actually active 
and where life transformation can occur. And so again, the exciting part of being spiritually uncomfortable and noticing this desire to resist is that that is the place where God is showing up to work. And so I'm telling you, for those of you who are struggling to hear God, what you need to know is that when you find yourself being angry or frustrated, scared, doubtful even, or just plain fed up with the silence that you are in, it's a signal to you that God is actually very active in your life because he is stirring something in you to maybe get your attention because he really wants to communicate with you. And I'm going to tell you what that looks like in a second, okay? But for right now, what I want you to hold on to is this idea that resistance is the place where God is active, okay? Hold on to that. All right. All right, well, let's read and see what comes next once Jesus enters the Decapolis, okay? It says, and then they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Okay, before we talk about what you do do, let's talk about what you don't do first, okay? I know this very well. I tried this with this week with my friend Andrea. Nothing miraculous happened, okay? So here's what you don't do. You don't go up to somebody and stick your fingers in their ears, okay? Unless you're Jesus, this is not for you. The other thing you don't do is you don't lick your hands and then touch your friend's tongue, okay? I know that... I know that we're not in a pandemic anymore, we're endemic, but let's use common sense, okay? That's what you don't do. That was fun, by the way. But here is what you can do that is reminiscent of what Jesus says in this passage, and it is this. You can be open, you can be open to hearing God differently, okay? Take a minute and imagine something with me. Um, this passage, this event happened, I am sure, before American Sign Language was, was active and out there, okay? But imagine you are this man, and you're living your entire life in silence. No human connection with people. No one tries talking to you. No one includes you. You don't go to the Christmas parties. No one invites you. You stand on the sideline watching everybody else live their life as you watch in silence, okay? But then this guy comes along, and he's willing to get close to you, so close to you that he takes your face in his hands and, and he touches your ears. The things that have plagued you your entire life, you hate your ears for what they've done to you, but he touches them. And then he licks his fingers and he touches your tongue. Okay, maybe a little gross, I know, but guess what, you don't care because no one has ever gotten that close to you before. Who does this? And then after he's touched those parts of you that have destroyed your life, he looks in your eyes with compassion and he sighs a sigh that tells you, don't worry, I've, I've got this. And he sighs with such compassion. He looks up to heaven. What is he doing? Is he calling on God? Like, who is this guy? 
And the moment he looks up, your heart starts to race and you can almost feel the energy building up in him as he gets ready to speak. And you know deep down that something big is about to happen. And then, and then you see his mouth move and something happens that has never happened before. What is that? Sound? You don't know what he's saying because you've never heard before, but you don't care because all you know is that you have been released from your silent prison and your life will never be the same. To be a fly on the wall that day. But Crosswinds, what I want you to see is that this is not anything like what the crowd asked him to do. Um, the, the crowd said, hey, Jesus, you know what? When you go to this man, can you just lay a hand on him and heal him? Just lay a hand on him. But instead, what Jesus does is he defies their expectations. The man couldn't hear. It wouldn't do any good for him to speak and then have the man hear. He, he couldn't hear, right? It's not going to do any good. But what Jesus does and said is something pretty extraordinary. He invents a sign language of his own that the man could understand. You see, there were some pretty intimate things that needed to happen between this man and Jesus. And if he had stayed in that crowd with all the visual distractions, the man might have missed the very small, intimate, and personal cues that Jesus was signaling to him. And sometimes I think that we are so tied to how we expect Jesus to show up that we can miss those silent, small, intimate cues. And sometimes I think that we want him to show up so big and loud and obvious. But sometimes he's like, come to the side with me. I'm going to pull you away from the distraction so you can see what I am doing. So you can notice the cues and this own personal sign language that I am creating just for you. And you know, while it's true that the silence plagued that man his entire life in this moment, his silence was golden. It was golden because that was the only way that Jesus could make himself truly present to the man. And I wonder if that might just be true for us too, that there are some intimate things that God needs to tell you that need to happen between you and God, and they can only be done in quiet. And what I want you to really see is that sometimes silence is golden because that's the only way we can get away from the distraction. And maybe right now God is signaling and signing some things to you. But in order for you to see and pay attention to those things, you have to be open to maybe hearing him in a very different way. You know, when Jesus healed the man, he used the word aphatha, and that means be open. But it didn't just mean like be open in your ears. It meant be thoroughly open, be open in your mind, be open in your heart and in your soul, be open to hearing differently. But I think in order for us to do that, we have to kind of start releasing our expectations, right? Of how we think God should show up and how we want him to show up. Well, how do we do that? How do you begin to start releasing all of those expectations that you put on God? Well, there's a simple prayer that I want to show you, um, and I think that it will be very helpful as you try and release um, your expectations to God, and here it is. It says, God help me be careful what I ask for in this season. 
What I expect and desire as solutions to my current challenge may be subpar compared to what you have in mind. I release my expectations. I trust in your purpose and in your plan. And it's a simple prayer, right? Simple prayer, four sentences. I know what you're thinking, Jody. It's, it's a four-sentence prayer. Big deal. What is that going to do in my life? How is that going to change anything? Well, this is what I like to call a trim tab prayer. Does anyone know what a trim tab is? If you sail or you fly, you know what a trim tab is. A trim tab is this small piece of metal on a rudder or a, or the, or a, of a boat or a plane, and it helps the bigger rudder actually turn the boat. Well, in the 1970s, there was a man named Buckminster Fuller, and he was a philosopher and an inventor, and he said, you know what? I think that we as human beings, we have trim tabs in our lives. And he says this. He said, something hit me very hard once, thinking about what one little thing could do. Think of the Queen Elizabeth. The whole ship goes by, and then comes the rudder. And there's a tiny thing at the edge of the rudder called a trim tab. It's a miniature rudder. Just moving the trim tab builds a low pressure that actually pulls the entire rudder around. Takes almost no effort at all. And so I thought to myself, there are things in our lives that can be trim tabs. Small, tiny actions that can produce huge movement. And I think that just like that trim tab on the Queen Elizabeth or the SS Crosswinds, as you saw back here, which barely moves but can help the rudder turn an entire ocean liner, this small prayer is a prayer that can start to change everything. It might seem like nothing, but the minute can turn the whole ship. This small prayer can produce huge movement in your life. Because once you release your expectations, you might start to hear and understand this new language or the, single, the signals that God is speaking to you. But first, you have to let go of how you're expecting him to show up. Okay? Here's the last thing we learned from Jesus about what to do when you're living in spiritual silence. The last thing. Let God finish your story. Let God finish the story. Um, after the man was healed, the passage says that um, Jesus told the crowd, all like it would be all of us, hey, don't go tell anyone about it. Don't go tell anybody about it. And so every time, you know, he would say, don't go tell anyone about it, what would they do? They blasted it on social media, right? They posted on Facebook, on Instagram. They, they post tweets about it. Here is what they posted. Here's their Twitter tweet right here. Verse 37, he's done it all and done it well. He gives hearing to the deaf, speech to the speechless. In other words, what they're saying is, you know what? This guy is incredible. He is at the top of his game, top of his craft. Look at him go. And it always cracks me up after something like this happens. Jesus is like, hey, could you guys not tell anybody about it? He says to them, can you not? Don't tell anyone, even though the man's not going to understand. Don't say anything. I know it's obvious and all that something miraculous has happened, but please don't say anything about it. Why does he always say this? I think the simple answer is because we end up screwing up the story sometimes. I think we kind of screw it up because we get the ending all wrong. See, the conclusion to this story was not that Jesus was the greatest healer of all time. 
the conclusion to this story was that Jesus is the son of God and he would take away the sins of the world by going to the cross. And he says, don't tell, because he wanted to finish the story the way it needed to be told. And what he's saying is, leave the outcome to me. He's saying, I will finish it. I will help you draw the right conclusions about what is going on. And he is saying the same thing to us when we are in the silent mess and to the person that you know who is in a silent mess right now who needs to be reminded of this. Don't you finish the story. Let me do it. Don't finish it but by believing that I've abandoned you or that I don't love you or that I don't exist. Don't you finish that story by walking away from your faith. Let me finish it for you. Hang on a little bit longer and leave the outcome to me. You might know somebody right now who's already drawn some conclusions about themselves and about God because of the silence that they're in. And I'm just saying, what would it be for you to remind them that God is not done with them yet? Not in a long shot. And for those of you right now who are in the middle of your silent mess, you might want to finish the story, but wouldn't you rather God finish it for you? Wouldn't you rather him be the one who writes that masterpiece? Well, as we close, um, I want to encourage those of you who are walking alongside someone right now who is in the middle of this struggle. They might need to be reminded of the things that we've talked about this morning. What would it be for you to just kind of gently share those insights with them and maybe even bring them to one of our Christmas services that are starting on Wednesday and see how God shows up for them? And then let me also encourage those of you who are currently sitting in the silence with God right now. I know it's uncomfortable, but it might not be what you think. That very discomfort you feel, the frustration or anger or fear, is really God's sign language to you. And he's telling you something about you and him, that you have a desire for him. You have a desire to hear. And he might be trying to tell you something very personal and intimate. It just might not be in a way that is expected. Hang on a little longer, enough for him to finish that story. Let's stand together and pray. God, I thank you uh, that you are a very personal, intimate God who would pull us aside outside of distraction and reveal a personal language to us that we understand. I pray for my friends this morning who are struggling to hear that you would help them be brave, be strong and courageous to stay in that uncomfortableness a little while longer because you are not done. We thank you for being a good God. We thank you that we get to celebrate this season and the birth of your son. Go with us as we leave this place. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming this morning. We hope to see you at one of our Christmas services starting Wednesday.